Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is Friday, June 4th. Well, just ahead, DocuSign uh, reports some fantastic growth during COVID. But what comes next? And an emerging new player in the world of databases. And finally, we'll take a deep look at an important parts supplier to the military and the post office. It's a fascinating turnaround story. We'll talk about VSE with CEO John Cuomo. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And so many listeners are telling us they listen to the show every day. You should too. It's a whole lot easier if you subscribe and click the follow button on your favorite podcast platform. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down, where we explain the business stories behind stocks on the move. Joining me is always executive producer, Isaac Webster. Isaac, tell me the three most important developments in the world of business today. Corey, we got to start with those jobless numbers, or I should say job numbers, uh, hiring in the U.S. Half empty at, or half full, depends on your glass. Exactly, really. exactly, exactly. Hiring in the U.S. picked up in May, still lagging behind the broader recovery. Employers added 559,000 jobs in May, and the unemployment rate fell to 5.8%. But these gains, they're still not enough to keep for the labor market to keep pace with an overall economy as it recovers from the pandemic. Yeah, uh, the, the recovery keeps coming back. It's interesting. We'll hear uh, there's going to be some big changes in a lot of states uh, as it relates to unemployment. We'll see what unemployment insurance, I should say, and payouts. We'll see what they uh, actually give us uh, in terms of the results for hiring in the coming months. I think that's the big question. Now, number two business story that we're following today, the EU and UK have opened antitrust probes into Facebook. They're investigating whether Facebook repurposes data it gathers from advertisers in order to give illegal advantages to its own services like its online f- flea market called Marketplace. Now, the UK is also investigating whether Facebook uses advertiser data to give similar advantages to its online dating service. Now, these two watchdog groups, the EU and UK, said they would coordinate their investigations. All right, the third story that we're watching today, the King Kong of SPACs. Special purpose acquisition companies, billionaire investor Bill Ackman's jumbo-sized SPAC has found its first big deal. Poised to buy 10% stake in Universal Music Group, the home of artists like, of course, Taylor Swift, and has a $42 billion valuation. Now, if completed, the transaction would be the biggest involving a SPAC. Ackman's SPAC is called Pershing Square Tontine Holdings. It's going to invest Forty, or I'm sorry, four billion of its cash for a ten percent stake in Universal. Now, Universal Music is currently owned by the French conglomerate Vivendi, 
which has 80% stake, and China's Tencent, which owns 20%. Um, Bill Ackman always swinging for the fences. This is a big one for them. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with MondoDB. MDB shares rose 16% today, and they've gained 43% in a year. What's going on with MondoDB? So MondoDB is an interesting database company that really is uh, just growing fantastically. Uh, and, you know, it's turns out a lot of people want to use this database product that is so very different than the giant products offered by companies like Oracle. Uh, one of the things that happened during COVID is that people went to work from home mode and, and that these teams were a little more disconnected from the mothership. So what MondoDB found was that when tech teams were just tasked with get it done, that meant they would go to this database as a server product from MondoDB. The product's called Alpha, and it did just fantastically well during the pandemic. So what's the difference between that and, say, an Oracle database? Well, it's it, it among other things, this database, uh, this Alpha database in particular, uh, it has uh, deep connections to the open source movement, and it charges by the seat and w runs on the web. It isn't a centralized um, uh, uh, you know, on-premise computing product like some of Oracle's databases. Um, and this company, uh, MonoDB, did a good job, apparently, of getting contracts closed quickly and users spun up and running. And it's really interesting. It's part of a broader trend of the fragmentation of uh, enterprise information technology stacks, right? All the different pieces of software they use that are different for different parts of the companies with very different use cases. Not everything in a company has to run on the singular database of Oracle or SQL Server or DB2. And uh, with with most companies, you know, we might have the general ledger still run on Oracle. Isaac, I don't know if you know this, but uh, when we were at Bloomberg, the base database technology underneath Bloomberg was an Oracle database. But MondoDB saw some terrific sales during COVID from teams that wanted something different than their company's general ledger. The question is, what's going to happen after COVID? Well, here is the CEO of MondoDB, Dev Idicheria. We feel pretty good about the demand environment. Um, we think that as customers recognize they need to be uh, digital first due to the pandemic, it's not like they're going to suddenly say, well, you know, I'm going to go back to my more costly and more inefficient distribution channels, I think they're going to recognize that uh, having a strong digital presence is critical to growing their business. And, uh, um, and when they step back and think about um, how they drive their business, every company is not thinking about using software and data as a competitive advantage. That means every company is thinking about how can they drive the productivity of their sales for, uh, developers. And every company is thinking about how can I, you know, I can't buy my competitive advantage, I've got to build it. And so I think that pos positions us well for the future as people, as customers and organizations come out of the pandemic. So interesting, you know, yet another company talking about digital acceleration of the digital transformation. And in his case, companies, just every part of a company deciding, we got to get this thing working, we got to get it working online, and we're going to buy a new database to do this part of our business. Corey, what is your next drill down? How about DocuSign? DocuSign, D-O-C-U. Shares rose 19% today, and they've gained 66% over the last 12 months. What's new with DocuSign? Have you used DocuSign much? Oh, yeah. It makes buying a house very easy. You, you've been buying a lot of houses? I, I did not know this. Always. I'm always buying houses, yeah. <laughs> That's my deal. That's why I do. Um, I, I have actually found myself <laughs> using DocuSign a lot more lately. I don't know if it's the stage of my life I'm in or... 
um, the uh, uh, starting this business podcast network and so many documents to sign. I have a DocuSign in the inbox right now for a contract we're bringing on. But uh, what's interesting to me is that this business has gone well beyond e-signatures. Um, they talk about this, uh, and it might be worth noting that DocuSign is offices are in the shadow of the Salesforce Tower. Um, I happen to know an executive at the DocuSign who lives right across the street from the Salesforce Tower. So they refer to their business as a cloud business, specifically in the agreement cloud. Did you know there's an agreement cloud? No, you know, I was reading up on DocuSign before this and the agreement cloud is a new term yeah. for me. I like that. I like it. It's a ridiculous term. That's ridiculous. I love it. But it, oh, you're too kind. Um, uh, I do like the folks over at DocuSign uh, though, but, and uh, uh, their notion is that it's not just about signatures, that all the things happen with legal agreements from creating a document to distributing a document to yes, signing the document uh, and managing the access and storing the document. That's the agreement cloud. So they try to look at that as the opportunity for them to both develop products and then sell into those markets. Um, and of course it brings them to a larger total addressable market, their TAM, we love to hear they Everyone loves to talk about their TAM when they're still smaller businesses. DocuSign over oh, is getting to be a real big business. They reported a great quarter, uh, $469 million in revenue. That's 61% higher than it was a year ago. And the wow. growth was already really fast. They were growing at a 39% clip a year ago, but now to be growing at a 61% clip, um, the question is, are they just, is that digital acceleration or are they just pulling sales forward during COVID? Would those sales, in other words, have happened anyway in the next few months, but they pulled it all forward during COVID? That's the ultimate question here. Um, and is maybe that agreement cloud and the total addressable market, that TAM, something that should be uh, paid attention to because there's so much more room to go? Well, here is that CEO, Dan Springer. Once they see the benefits of the digital transformation, particularly around the agreement cloud, from uh, having an opportunity to grow their business with us, they don't go back. Uh, in fact, they look for additional opportunities to expand. And so I don't think we don't talk about the Q1 pull forward like it was some fixed amount to pull forward that you know, pays Peter and takes and Paul. We look at it as there's just an increasing demand. And it really goes back, as you and I have talked about in the past, to the TAM. We are still in the early days, even of just the signature business. Our penetration is so low. Um, but it's a very, very large uh, ocean from which we're pulling forward uh, that, that continued uh, strong customer demand. So that's Dan Springer from DocuSign. Uh, they really think that they're just scratching the surface here uh, of that ocean. Lots of metaphors in that conference call from the great Dan Springer, a guy I like personally quite a bit. But, man, the metaphors were all over the map. He was almost as bad as me. You see all uh, of the maps that I did there? Oh, God. Um, I, I don't know what to do with you, but I do love the agreement cloud. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at bark bites, bark boxes, I should say. Bark boxes, bark, bark shells, shares fell almost 3% today. B-A-R-K, new on the block this Why week, not? right? Right. So uh, Maggie Renshaw, our terrific yeah. producer wanted us to take a look at this company. I think she wants a dog. What do you think? Well, she takes care of dogs for people every now and then. She's all, I feel like she's always um, helping someone out with their dog. And I don't know that she wants her own dog. 
<laughs> All right. Well, you think that would uh, – exactly. It's like taking care of kids. It's when you exactly. Your, it's like exactly. the best form of birth control. Um, uh-huh. So uh, Maggie wanted to take a look at this company. It went public through a SPAC this week, and I did take a look at it. Um, and it's interesting. This is an eight-year-old subscription model business that, um, as the name might suggest, is targeting dogs and their owners and their owners' credit cards. They offer a monthly box of dog toys or kibble or chew toys or other stuff. Um, it's another COVID grower. The business took off when people were stuck at home with their significant others, as long as that significant other was a dog. Do you guys have a dog? Oh, yeah. Greta, little French bulldog. I was unaware of this. Yeah. As the listeners of the show know, they've heard my dog. Yeah, they have. You won't but hear Greta, though. Um, uh, well, that's, I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, you know, one dog is too many, right? So why not get two? Uh, well, so <laughs> one of the stats in their investment deck was as mo- maybe the most ridiculous stat I have seen um, uh, ever in an investment deck. 47% of dog owners said that in the last year they were talking to their pets more. Strangely, 36% <laughs> of the pets, 47% of dog owners said they were talking to their pets more. 36% of the dogs told the surveyors that the owners were weird. And 50% of the statistics <laughs> I just gave you, 50% of the statistics I just gave you are made up. <laughs> shocking, shocking. Which 50% though? You're going to have to figure that out. If you think the dogs were complete, <laughs> if you think the dogs completed surveys, you're foolish enough to actually believe that people can be surveyed reasonably about how much they talk to their dogs. But in any case, the sales growth for this company was awesome during COVID. They shipped three and a half million boxes in the most recent quarter, and that's 70% more than the year before. Well, I mean, I'm not really surprised by that. I mean, I, you know, all those stories about more people got dogs during the pandemic and everything else. I mean, the real test is going to be whether these consumers are sticky or not. Well, I w- so I would think of this differently. So, you know, we look at some of these businesses, these subscription businesses, and they look really great and their revenue growth looks really great. Blue Apron is an example. But when you dig under the covers, what you really want to see is, are they just spending four times as much marketing to get two times as many customers? And mm. what's the churn rate? How long do these customers stick around? Well, it turns out- right. That BarkBox spent about 20% of revenues on customers two years ago, and they spent 20% of revenues on customers last year. So that growth really did happen, not thanks to an aggressive increase in the spend of marketing. That's also a a really sleazy tactic I've seen with other companies before they go public. They jack up the marketing. They show the sales growing. Since they were already losing money, no one's really paying attention. Um, And then the other thing, well, two other things to look at with a company like this. You want to look at what the churn rate is, how uh, how bad the customers are bailing from the service. And it wasn't too bad at all. It was just about 5%, 5.9% in the most recent year and 5.4% in the fourth quarter of 2021. So that's that's pretty good. Then you look at how much does it cost for them to get a customer. So if the average revenue per customer for a box, the average order value is about $29, they spend about $48 acquiring each customer. So if you sell a customer, I'm not good at math, but if you sell a customer two boxes at 29 bucks, then they've paid for themselves with a customer acquisition cost, and they're not churning out. They're only churning out at uh, 6% a quarter, or 6% overall, I should say. Then it suggests that this is going to be a pretty good business for this company in terms at least of paying back that marketing cost. Listen to the CEO, Manish Joenja. We have an incredible asset in the form of our customer relationship happy team. This dog-obsessed team aspires to make our customers happy. 
and the 95% average customer satisfaction or CSAT score to achieve the fiscal 2021 is evidence of their success. In addition, we use the power of analytics to personalize experience and develop products that align with our customers' needs. A strong connection with our customers and their dogs results in a strong subscription-based model with great retention and provides a high level of predictability for our direct-to-consumer business segment, which makes up 87% of our revenue. So, you know, a lot, every company we talk to is thinking about technology and technology is changing our business and we're monitoring, using data to look at our customers. Okay, these guys look like they're proving it with that really low churn rate, with um, the successful marketing program that doesn't cause them to, where they got a lot more uh, users without spending any more proportionately uh, on acquiring those users. It suggests that uh, this this uh, this dog can hunt. It's a, it's a, such a great name for the company too, BarkBox. I mean, I'm actually Thank you surprised for not that. Fun of me. <laughs> I'm surprised. Surpri- this was I was I was holding back on the puns. I think I did well with this one. You I, were? It, was, it was begging. It was no, begging at a certain, for us. At a certain point, you use so many puns. It's just um, it's a numbing. There's a numbing effect that happens when we talk. <laughs> All right. Anyway, well, we won't do that, Isaac, with our next guest. Our guest, John no. Cuomo, the CEO of VSE Corporation. Really interesting company. A uh, really interesting turnaround of a company that does a lot of work with the government, whether it's the Navy or the mil- other parts of the military, or the post office. We're going to talk to the CEO of VSE right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. ERA's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some 40,000 investor events annually across 10,000 global equities. Learn more at ERA, A-I-E-R-A, dot com. And remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at DrillDownPod. Check out our website, bizpod.net, and let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on. Welcome back to the drill down. Joining us right now, John Cuomo, the CEO of VSE Corporation based in Alexandria, Virginia, just outside of D.C. John joins us from just outside D.C. right now. Uh, John, good to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on the Drill Down. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So uh, what is VSE Corporation? How do you describe this to people uh, in, in your life? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you the boring way and then the more exciting way. You know, essentially, we're an aftermarket parts distribution and services business for transportation assets. So what does that mean in reality? Well, wow, that is the boring anything- way. Mission accomplished. <laughs> yeah. So think of anything that flies or floats or drives. And our job is to, you know, keep them moving. So we supply parts or we turn wrenches. We don't actually fix the full vehicles, but we are fixing uh, many of the components that go into the vehicles. And it's it's such a fascinating business to me uh, because it seems like that's a really hard thing to do on the easiest of days. Uh, but in the in a world that is so constrained um, because of COVID and our global supply chains are so um, heavily impacted, you know, we didn't need a stoppage of the Suez Canal to shut down the world's global supply chains. They were already imperiled. But I've got to imagine uh, that your job has been really hard this last year, and yet your company's put up some really good results. 
Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that. Essentially, you know, we live between the people who make the products and the people who use the products. So our job is to manage all of the nuances in the supply chain. So no, you can't predict what happens in the Suez Canal or, you know, we weren't able to predict what happened with COVID and how that would impact the supply chain. But we use a lot of data and analytics and understand our customers really well. And we're well stocked and well, you know, uh, trained in terms of supporting all the changes that happen in supply chain. So we actually didn't have one day of shutdown through all of COVID. And, you know, we kept all of our customers, whether commercial or military customers, uh, flying, driving and floating uh, all, all throughout the last 12 months. Yeah, it seems like you've got an interesting distribution of businesses. Um, when I look at your, your uh, 10K, your annual report, 38% of that business is federal and defense. But there's a big aviation business, a quarter of your business, and a quarter of your business uh, fleet. What is fleet? Fleet is essentially uh, think of uh, automotive parts, but but not automotive and not heavy duty. So the, think of the delivery bands in the middle of that uh, sector, and it's what we believe is an untapped market in terms of distribution. So our largest customer in that segment is the United States Postal Service, but we also service sanitation vehicles, delivery vehicles, and the like with full supply chain and distribution um, uh, support, both parts and services. Yeah, 27% of that uh, uh, fleet business, which is, is the U.S. Postal Service, which is 37% of your business. So doing the math in my head, that's probably about 15% of your business overall. Um, talk to me about that business, because I th we did see a really dramatic shift during COVID towards uh, adoption of shopping online. Duh, we have all seen that happen. But, uh, I, you know, we listen to so many conference calls and talk to so many companies in the drill down that we do get a sense that that wasn't a one-time thing, that it was really a pull forward. Did your business similarly see a pull forward of what you think the future is going to look like, customers either needing you or needing the next three years worth of parts right now? Absolutely. Yeah, we saw a few things that kind of accelerated during COVID. You know, I think many people would be surprised at the lack of sophistication in some of these industrial companies in terms of how they manage supply chain, which is why we're there to help. And we continue to try to evolve the industry and push it forward. And COVID actually allowed us to do that in a, in a, uh, a bigger way than we had anticipated, both in terms of e-commerce and how we can accelerate e-commerce in sectors that weren't overly receptive to it, as well as our total logistics and just-in-time programs where people needed to really outsource as much of their supply chain as they can. And that's where VSE stepped in to support those customers as well. What do you mean in terms of e-commerce? So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll use our fleet business as an example. So many of those customers were still going to your discount auto parts or your other brick and mortar type locations to buy product. Um, and, that, and that's how they have been purchasing product for years. We were able to look at our more uh, attractive fleet customers and migrate those customers from the brick and mortar model to e-commerce. And we do believe that trend will, is here to stay. Now, in terms of revenue growth, we just kind of look top line. Now, you'll forgive me for being in Silicon Valley where nobody even know, looks at a bottom line ever or free cash flow <laughs> ever with some ex notable exceptions like Google and Facebook. But, uh, uh, you know, you guys have seen a slowdown in your business or at least some changes in your business in the last couple of years. But it seems like you've been deciding to go towards more profitable business and get rid of the stuff that wasn't working as well. Talk to me about what you're really trying to focus the company on. 
Yeah, I mean, VSC is a 60-year-old business, and this is really a transformation story. I describe it as, I don't know if you've ever bought an old home and renovated it. That's basically what we're doing here is some core assets. It's a a great company with some great core assets. So if you think of it like a piece of property, you're on a great street and a great school district, you just need to do some renovation. You know you're going to have the best house on the street. That's exactly the phase of transformation we're in here at VSC. So my first two years of the business, we focused on that cultural transformation um, organizational transformation, systems, processes, and and uh, our value propositions and strategies. Now it's a, about executing on that. So we're much more focused on higher margin niche markets than being more of a commoditized type supplier the way BSE was in the past. So does that mean you look at some contracts and say, hey, you know, we've got this business, you know, at one point, I think in 2018, 21% of your business was with, a, with of your federal defense business was Navy. That's down to 15%. Uh, without getting too much into the details of that, um, I don't want to know anything I'm not supposed to know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm curious if you look at a contract and say, hey, this contract really isn't such a great deal for us. It's bringing down our overall margins. We're not going to make a lot of money on this. We're, you know, sh- we should just get out of this business entirely. Do you t- kind of look at that on a contract-by-contract basis, Do you a customer basis, that is? Or do you look at certain product lines? Or both. Oh, both, but both. We look at we we look at our business. You know, we look at the products that we support and the services and the capabilities that that we sell to customers as well. And then we drill it down on a customer by customer basis. And you know, I'm a growth oriented leader. I've led a you know a business prior to this that was very growth focused as well. And the first two years here, you know, required a lot of discipline. We divested of, of two assets and we did prune some of our contracts so that now we're really left with the core of, of and the base in which we're going to build off of and build off of that with a higher margin profile than we were two years ago. Yeah, so uh, one of those businesses sold prime turbines. Maybe you you can give us an example of what you saw in that that was obviously someone thought that was a good business at a good point. You decided not to be in that. Why? You know, I've, I've run services businesses my entire life. When you run a services business, it's about the technology and it's about the people and how you interact with your customers. And th- the second piece that's really important to highlight is – when you can differentiate from your competition, that's when you can drive embeddedness with your customers and drive superior margins. And we were just too generalized. We were, you know, a jack of all trades and an expert at nothing, essentially. And now we're becoming very defined expert, experts in our field. So our aviation business had a large group of businesses where we service the aftermarket. Now we're very well defined in proprietary part distribution and component and engine accessory repair. And then we sold the assets that were non-core to those to those strategies. You know, jack of all trades and master of none is actually on my business card. So don't knock it, <laughs> at least in podcasting. Well, I, I, when you look at these businesses in particular, um, do you try to get your the reputation of your company with your customers? Hey, the VSA guys, they're really good at this one thing. We should go to them for that. They might have a solution. Is that is that kind of the goal you're after here as opposed to being a one-stop shop? Um, absolutely. I mean, essentially, you, you, you want to be that person and then find ways to continue to expand a share of wallet inside your existing customer base. But it's really being known in the market, the, the market reputation and the, the culture in which we build around customer centricity and around really being detailed experts at what we do is exactly uh, w- where we're driving this business forward. So what is that answer? What would the, what would you expect a customer or want a customer to say about you that would make you think, oh, wow, they've been reading our marketing materials. It's exactly what we always see ourselves as. 
Yeah, I mean, the first thing is, you know, you, I think many people would be surprised in industrials businesses, when you look at distribution, it doesn't necessarily work like the way that you go on your app and order something and it gets sent to you two days later. There is a tremendous amount of complexity in the supply chain. And what we want our customers to know and to feel is if they want to keep their transportation assets moving, that we are the people that are going to help them do that. So number one, they can rely on 100% on-time delivery, great quality of product. And second, in our repair businesses, they can rely on both the speed and execution in which we can get those products repaired and the quality in which we can do so. Um, all in a very, very customer-centric mentality. And I think the move to e-commerce and the move to using more technology, a lot of people have lost that customer intimacy. And that's something that's a very core to the DNA here at BSE. This acceleration towards digital transformation, I, I, digital transformation has almost gotten to be a silly word to me, but but it, it is really interesting to me. Uh, I was looking at the results uh, we talked about earlier on the show, uh, uh, looking at the results of, um, of uh, um, a database company that was seeing a lot of teams just saying, hey, we got to get software by the, by the seat. We got to get software as a service. We got to do it now. We're all working from home anyway. Let's just get what works and do it online and do it quickly. And it, it's interesting to me that, that all kinds of companies, as you say, are, are engaging in that transformation to be more online. Maybe you can give me an example of one of your customers and how they kind of made that change. It might have been coming for a long time, but suddenly did it this year. Well, I think more than actually for us, it was you know online. It's I think there's there's a lot of fear of transition that has changed during COVID. And I'll give you an example. We signed a, a billion dollar contract, which is transformational for our business a few months back. And we recently announced it. And that contract was where you had an aircraft engine manufacturer that was managing their distribution. So after they made the engines, they're still selling the parts themselves to support their end users. And that's not their area of expertise. And I think what COVID did and what the, the digital transformation did is it's allowing people to now take a pause, a strategic pause to say, you know, it's time for me to really look at the experts who can do this and have the managerial courage to actually execute on transitioning that work. So it was a really great partnership for us. And it's a combination of both back to what I stated earlier, that customer intimacy and our use of technology in which we can better support their end users than they can. And to give our listeners some context, you did $649 million in trailing revenues in the last year. So a billion dollar contract is more than you know, the entirety of what you sold in the last year. That's a big deal. Exactly. I mean, I talked about the transformation story. So I've been with the business two years. The first two years were building that foundation, really focusing on the right value propositions, testing them in the market to make sure the market was responding to the, to it the way we thought they were. And now it's about putting the foot on the gas and starting to accelerate the growth in the business. How do you do that kind of testing in your business? You know, you you take you take your uh, concepts, and I'll use the value proposition for our aviation business. You know, one of the things that we saw in the last cycle was you look at the large aircraft manufacturers; they wanted a piece of the aftermarket. They wanted to support more of the airlines and the maintenance, repair, and overhaul centers after they sold the aircraft. And not everybody liked that or wanted that model. So what we did was we said, okay, here's what we think the customers want. Now let's go, you know, do some pilot programs to test it and see how they respond. And you, you know, you get some favorability, you find some opportunities of where what your service, what you're selling, whether it's services uh, or products is not exactly what they want. You go back and retest it. So it's almost like, you know, do, doing a pilot program that in a business to consumer environment and making sure it works before you go launch something nationwide. You've also cut your staff by about a third 
in the last two years. That's 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 not easy. That's not fun. Yeah, I mean, COVID would definitely um, put us in a position where instead of looking at it as um, as I think many did of how I need to preserve my balance sheet and cash, and we looked at it as we're in the middle of a transformation, let's look at this as opportunity. Where do we want our centers of excellence to be for each of our business units? Let's close the facilities that don't make sense that are not centers of excellence. Let's invest in the facilities and the and the people and the areas that are the centers of excellence. And let's get the business in a position that we're ready, again, foundationally to ride this recovery and to start growing this business as we come out in the back half of 2021. There's a hedge fund manager here in San Francisco, Carlo Cannell, who I worked with for a while. And he would say, you can change a fan belt whilst the engine runs, but it's not easy. Yeah, I, I use a very similar phrase. I tell the team we've got to fly the airplane, uh, repair the airplane while it's flying. And uh, it's a very similar mentality. You can't stop a business for two years to to do the transformation. So we've got to, you know, keep servicing our customers and servicing them at the highest levels while we're, you know, pushing forward on our uh, strategic changes for the business. Well, luckily, you've got those parts in house. Good work, John. John Cuomo is the CEO of VSE uh, and joins us from the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, we're glad to have you, and it's a company we'll keep an eye on. How can people keep an eye on what VSE is up to? A stock ticker I should mention is VSEC. Presumably you have a, a website, and you guys are doing some work out there. Oh, yes, uh, of course. I mean, vsecorp.com is our website. Um, VSEC on NASDAQ, you know, we are we've been much more – um, focused on investors and uh, being more, uh, you know, open to communication out in the market. So there's plenty of information out there on the company. Thanks for the time today. I really appreciate you making time for us. All right. John Cuomo, VSE Corp. Okay. Up next on the drill down the bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. And we told you about the billion dollar contract for VSE Corp. It's a 15 year deal over which they'll get a billion dollars. And they've got $649 million in revenues in the last year. Well, they also have a funded backlog of contracts with the federal government. How big is that backlog? Money that's probably going to come in the door for them pretty soon. We're going to tell you how big that is right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA, a one-stop equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. ERA's AI-powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms, and we hope you will. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, you name it. But hit the subscribe button, follow us, and make sure you catch every show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod. And connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. Okay, we're back with a drill down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, we mentioned that 15-year, $1 billion contract for VSE Corporation. Uh, we They did $649 million in revenues last year. So, you know, very positive sign for these guys, transformational, yeah. as John Cuomo told us. But in the federal government business, you could have a backlog. But in the federal government business, you get a funded backlog, which is to say that uh, they actually have – the federal agencies have a guaranteed funding – to make these purchases, which they could and have said that they will make with VSE. So of their bookings, which is $270 million, they have a funded backlog of $183 million. So between those wow. the bookings, the backlog, the new billion-dollar deal, it does suggest that revenues uh, are, are starting to get locked in for VSE 
going forward. That must help them all sleep well at night. Only wish the best for them, especially on the weekend. Yeah. Isaac, I hope you have a great weekend. Thank you all of you for listening to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Our show is edited by Ben Wilson. Maggie Renshaw is our senior producer. Alicia Albin, our chief of staff. Samantha Fennell, our head of ad sales. This theme song, the one you're listening to right now, it's called Moving Average. It's by Structural Dynamics. Thanks to Jorn Lysigen, then the fantastic crew at Shack 15, the drill down to the production of the Business Podcast Network. Three, two, one.